This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm big on the 80-20 rule. So it, I know with wholesalers and with uh, brokers in any given market, it, it's really 20% uh, of those wholesalers or brokers that are doing 80% of the deals. So you make friends with them and make sure they know that you can uh, close on deals, then there's huge opportunity to uh, build relationships for getting them to bring you deals first. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. Today, we have an awesome guest, Mark Ainley. He is based in Chicago, Illinois. He is someone that I first connected with from BiggerPockets, uh, hearing them uh, feature him as a guest on their show. Uh, a little bit about Mark, uh, as a background, he, with partners, owns and operates a property management firm in Roselle and Chicago of about 37 employees managing over 900 residential units and a million commercial square feet. Their subsidiary firm, GC Realty Investments, is a full-service brokerage firm that buys and sells residential, commercial, and industrial properties. They have purchased and rehabbed close to 500 cash-flowing properties for ourselves over the years and have experienced to advise younger investors where they have made mistakes and how to avoid them. That's really cool. Love that. The two things that stood out to me from this episode were one, his tips for self-managers and how he thinks you should decide to self-manage or to have a property manager. Uh, this is something I often hear people discussing or thinking about. Do I self-manage? Do I find a property management company? How do I find one? So he goes through the whole system of how he thinks people should decide and then what steps they should take to actually pick one once they have decided. The second tip or thing that stood out to me was the systems he uses to organize so many tenants and tasks. As you can imagine, a firm that has 900 residential units Again, residential units doesn't it means they're not all apartment buildings. So what that that really means is there's a ton of moving parts. There could be tenant requests, there could be to dos, maintenance requests, showings, units turning over. So it was really interesting to hear about how he has systems in place to manage and think through all those tasks and stay organized. And as you guys know, I am very systems focused and kind of an organizational freak. So that really resonated with me. Today's tangible tip is sending someone your screenshot of your calendar for scheduling. Um, this is one that just out of necessity, sometimes when scheduling with people and going back and forth, which you guys know, if you listen to this podcast enough, I cannot stand. Uh, but this is one that your calendar is just pulled up on your phone. If you're going back and forth with people, when are you free? When are you busy? When works? Whatever. Uh, sometimes now what I just do is I just take a screenshot depending on who it is and I guess the privacy of what's on my calendar, but I will just send a screenshot of my calendar from my Outlook application to them and just say, hey, this is my schedule. Do any of the open times here work for you? And then that way it's just not back and forth. Uh, you guys know I like Calendly, but sometimes when you're texting, I don't find Calendly to be as easy to navigate or uh, as clean to send the link through in text. So just for this purpose, I found it to be an easy way to just find open times and then someone can just send you a calendar invite for when you have an open time in your schedule. So just a quick one, another thing for scheduling and being more productive as far as less back and forth. So that's today's quick tip. Without any further ado, let's get into today's episode with Mark Ainley. All right, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, speak to your audience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was just going through your story and, you know, even before we record, just going through a couple of the, the topics and stuff you're on uh, right now. And uh, it's a little bit of a weird time for sure. Uh, we're recording this 
April 1st. So uh, happy April Fool's Day. <laughs> and uh, going through the, the corona uh, real estate economy and business economy, which is a very interesting time. So I'm sure we'll touch on that. But uh, yeah, very, very uh, extensive background. Uh, we were talking a little about property management and virtual assistants before. Um, this listenership knows that's big for me and big for just what we try to do as far as you know, putting systems in place and operating lean. So I'm um, really looking forward to having you on today. Excited for you to be here. For those that don't know, uh, would you mind just giving a quick introduction on yourself, uh, background of how you got introduced to real estate and uh, where are you from and what you do? Yes, uh, Mark Ainley, I'm out of Chicago and uh, I've been in real estate since, uh, since 2003, two, three. Um, and I bought probably 2001 technically when I bought my first property for, for myself. Um, and then kind of got into real estate uh, uh, full-time in that 2003 when I got my real estate license. But uh, messed around with it. You know, like growing up, I always wanted to be uh, somewhere on Wall Street. And I always looked glamorous from, a, uh, I don't know, from a little boy's perspective of, uh, of that world. And, and I realized uh, quickly as I got more educated on what that looks like and the world of stockbrokers kind of went online. I kind of realized, I'm like, yeah, maybe that's not it. And real estate was kind of the next natural progression to doing something that could potentially be glamorous, I guess, uh, in my mind at that time. So got into real estate, you know, I bought my first house at 21, which I thought was a huge jump start for me uh, mentally because, you know, once I think uh, for anyone that buys their first house, it's funny. Um, I still remember doing this is I remember watching every month the principal go down on what I owed on, it. but I knew the value was going up. And that to me, was one of the most motivating things. So, you know, I talked to uh, people looking to buy the first deal and, and it's like, you get so much more motivation actually once you close that first deal uh, to get to that, that uh, target. But, uh, but yeah, bought first house, uh, you know, you know I, I house hacked that, I guess, if, if I use the right definition of that in the sense of uh, I was 21 and my friends were all living at home. So when, as they got kicked out of the house, I would charge them 600 bucks a head to sleep on a couch or in a bedroom. <laughs> And it made my expenses next to nothing. And I put them on, I guess, what you would call a month-to-month lease now, where I could kick them out at pretty much any time uh, if, if I got sick of them. So um, uh -huh. we had some fun with that. And, and again, that made me realize, like, wow, I am paying, like, $18 towards this mortgage. And it went down $300, my principal, last month. So those were uh, mm. things that were pretty uh, exciting back then. You know, I got my real estate license not too long after that. Um, that's something else I always recommend to people um, in real estate uh, or looking to get in real estate. I think uh, that's another um, thing that really propels you into um, real estate full-time, I guess, in the sense of you don't necessarily have to go sell everybody's houses, but the access to information you might have uh, was was uh, motivating to start, uh, whether it be having MLS access to share with your friends or, or whatnot. So got that, that kind of uh, put me out there um, as far as having more opportunity inside of real estate. You know, real estate, one thing I like about real estate and, and I'm sure your audience knows this, there's so many different ways to make money. And uh, from that 2003 period, when we started GC Realty uh, till today, man, we must've tried to make, we must've made money from real estate 50, 60 different ways um, through the ups and downs of the downturn. So it's pretty exciting in that sense of uh, the opportunity in real estate in general. Yeah, 100%. I mean, one thing you mentioned there that I, I couldn't agree with more is getting that first deal done. There's there's a, probably a big group of listeners here that have not done their first deal. They're they're analyzing, they're researching right now, especially with Corona. Maybe they're thinking this is this is exactly why I shouldn't have done my first deal. So maybe they're they're kind of Just backing into an answer. But there's a lot of people that are maybe on that that cusp. So it is interesting, and I totally agree hearing you say did that first deal. It's almost like, I think every real estate investor remembers that that time they get that first rent check and they maybe cash flow, whatever they do. And they realize that they're getting paid to kind of just exist. They don't have to do anything. If anything, if everything is going okay, and then you can, you can take it from, from there. So um, really cool there. I, I totally can relate to that. So after that first deal, did you kind of have the bug? Did you start buying more deals? I know you said you tested out a lot of different strategies, but Take us through the progression of what happened next. You know, so I had my own place and then I bought a, a condo, which was going part of a condo conversion. And at that time, uh, you know, I call it early uh, 2000s, uh, a lot of apartment complexes were getting converted to condos. And now it's funny because it's opposite now. A lot of our condos are being converted to apartments. But um, mm -hmm. in that, if you got in early in that first phase, you're getting discounted pricing. So I was uh, doing two things. I was buying those. And I was also selling them with my real estate license. Um, so I was kind of doing both. And 
we, the goal strategy back then was you hold them for about a year and uh, because prices were going up and you were buying in the first uh, uh, kind of tranche in, for the sales, you know, by the time they sold out all 300 units, they're selling at 20% higher already. So that was uh, kind of what I explored with next um, in that sense. And then as you got into uh, six, seven, eight at the same time, I was, uh, you know, what I realized how to do was I had my license. So I've heard people on your podcast talk about this before. It's about having a deal. If you have a deal, you have so much opportunity. So um, I might not have had all the resources to go do full uh, gut rehabs myself. I knew how to do it. So taking those deals to people I knew that had money and saying, hey, listen, I'll, find, I'll get this property purchased for you. I'll handle the entire rehab and then I'll get it sold for you. And this is what we'll make. Um, I, we probably did about 15, 20 of those where you know you made kind of uh, six grand on the commission, six grand on the on the six seven grand on the rehab, and then six grand on the uh, on the sale of the commission. So we were making good money, getting experience with little risk, and making other people money. And that's a big thing I think uh, for anybody. And I've heard you talk about it here before as well too. Is uh, yeah, you make other people money. You, you got a lot of friends. <laughs> you got a lot of people that listen to you as well too. So you found a niche, and uh, it seems like you had some I guess traction. You were getting experience doing rehabs. How were you finding those deals at the time? How were you finding the people to, I guess, then buy the deals or source the deals, the funding? What was the, the process like at the time? So it was, uh, this probably would not be a good, uh, I can answer your question for in the last 10 years, uh, for the last eight, nine years, I guess. Back then it was really easy. Everyone, you know, anybody that you knew had a uh, W2 job, you, you could you bring them a deal and say, hey, here's your lender too. And he'll give you hundred percent of the financing. You might even get some money back at closing. So back then it was pretty easy. Um, you can find the deals fairly easy too because uh, uh, people were selling and uh, there's opportunity back then. But you know, in the last uh, call it uh, five six years, the you know I think what's important for finding deals even now um, uh, recently has been kind of knowing. Uh, you know, I'm big on the eighty twenty rule. So it, I know with wholesalers and with uh, brokers in any given market, it, it's really twenty uh, percent of those wholesalers or brokers that are doing eighty percent of the deals. So you make friends with them and make sure they know that you can uh, close on deals. Then there's huge opportunity to uh, build relationships for getting them to bring you deals first. Yeah, hundred percent. That's actually, it's really interesting. You say that the last couple of days, even um, as far as like everyone is, is talking about, how do I find a deal? It seems like every podcast you go on, you hear that, that issue, that challenge, you know, there aren't that many good deals out there. And it's funny. So just on that note, a friend recommended We had a couple of wholesalers on the podcast. And they talked about like, well, then you should be looking to find deals like a wholesaler instead of a real estate investor because the wholesalers find a deal to supply the real estate investors. So it's kind of a change in framework in the last couple of days, even it's funny you just said that because I've been going back and some people that we bounce ideas around have been going back and just looking at strategies of automating sourcing and finding deals that wholesalers use and pull lists when you know, maybe that's only their small piece of the transaction, but they have something figured out really well, clearly that they can acquire and then loop people on and then they want to remove themselves, but they're making money. And it sounds like you were kind of doing something similar. You were making money in a portion. You weren't taking a deal down yourself, but you were finding the deal and sourcing the deal. So that's really cool. That's really interesting. So I guess from there, it seems like you're still trying out some different strategies. How did that progress into what came next? Uh, now you've grown a really nice management business, a lot of employees, a lot of units under management. Was that something that was interesting to you at the beginning or did you kind of step into that a different way? Oh, no, totally on accident. I, I actually fought forever to not do property management, um, as funny as that sounds. Really? Now, um, the first, so after my personal residence, that first condo, you know, I put an ad in the paper, which tells you about the times at that point as well, too. But I put an ad in the paper. <laughs> I took the first sad story and ultimately had to evict her. So I said, man, I am done with uh, property management. I'll, I'll just flip. Um, I'm done with managing tenants. Like this is ridiculous. And so it's, mm. it's ironic that uh, for as many doors as we managed today, um, that uh, my first deal I ever did, I, I had to evict somebody. Uh, so good lesson learned. And, and to all my clients out there, it was learned on my own dime. So uh, that's, that's the value I, I add to them. Um, but uh, you know, we, we got into 2008 and then we started, uh, buying uh, under a different strategy in, in that sense. And um, in that time when the market crashed, you know, property management's a down uh, market uh, business. So it thrives um, in that sense because people can't really sell. So what do they do? They rent it out. Usually the rental market's a little stronger because not many people could buy. So um, in, in 2008, um, you know, we started taking property management on in 2005, 2006. And our mentality back then was, 
all right, well, well, this guy will pay us 50 bucks. This guy will pay us 100 bucks. And that covers the electric for the office. You know, it was just a means to cover expenses to grow whatever else we thought we were trying to grow at the time. And, uh, you know, before we knew it, uh, we, it was about 2011. And uh, we, were, we were off trying to develop and, you know, what we could call now the birth strategy. We're doing that consistently over and over. Um, my partner goes and he's like, man, the office is chaotic. It's crazy. What's going on? And I said, Brian, we, we managed 250 units in a million square feet of commercial space and we don't have a system in place. Like it, it, this is a mess, man. Like we got to do, we're actually a property management company. We're not even a real estate company anymore. <laughs> so, uh, wow. so that, so it was kind of an accident. Then. And then, uh, we kind of rolled, you know, that's where we had to take a look in the mirror and say, Hey, what are we trying to be? You know, I, I think for us, it's always, we were always the real estate brokerage firm. Uh, and then we were doing our own personal investments. But then it shifted to like, hey, wait, you know, we're a property management company. Yeah, we do we have a brokerage arm, but we are a property management company first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Got it. What, what I'm just curious, what went wrong in that first deal? The first one ever that you had to evict, was it an inherited tenant, inherited tenant or was it just something that? Oh, no, no. So I put the, the ad in the paper and, and uh, you know, she, she was, uh, you know, uh, single mom and, and she, she, she had a bad experience with her last job and she's working now. And yeah, it was horrible. I ultimately did. I had to file for eviction, but I ultimately did what you call the modern day cash for keys. So I've been doing cash for keys since uh, early 2000s before it was even a thing, I guess. Um, and uh, mm. you know, I, I remember, so for me, you know, I remember there was a $772 mortgage on that property. I remember that to this day because every dollar more I collected was one less dollar I had to come out of my pocket. And I remember I'd go over there for, for 50, 80 bucks at a time. I can drive over there and pick it up from her. And, uh, and, and that was really what uh, mentally it, it took a toll on me. Got it. That's, uh, yeah, that, that could wear you down if you're going in chunks. And uh, so can you just elaborate for those that don't know what cash for keys is? Yes. Um, so here in Chicago, uh, you know, we're in Cook County um, and Cook County is like very tenant friendly. So, it, you know, you get them to court, there's a lot of loopholes where tenants can uh, bring stuff back to court, can, uh, um, drag out the court process, the Cook County sheriffs uh, that are supposed to, they have to deliver the, the process serving and they don't let you do it private the first time. It just takes forever. So if you evict someone in Cook County and you, you, you file for eviction day 30, um, you, you are best at four or five months. So what we've gotten really wow. good here in Chicago at doing is cash for keys, which basically, hey, tenant, this is not going anywhere fast. And uh, you know, how about I give you $1,500 and you could be out by Sunday. And they say yes, and you kind of control that exit, and uh, and uh, you get your unit back. Now, a lot of landlords are like I'm not giving I'm not giving them them squat. They haven't paid rent, and it becomes a business decision at that point. Where if I give you fifteen hundred dollars to be out Sunday, I got my place, I could put it back together and get rented out somebody versus not controlling the next six months and the mental toll is worth fifteen hundred bucks uh, in itself in those scenarios. I think, but uh, that's something that's pretty popular here um, or in other areas where it's very resident. Uh, the laws are very resident friendly. Got it. New York is another one. Same thing. A lot of uh, challenges, I guess, from the standpoint of not being able to evict or tenants having a lot of control or power. So in most of those cases, because I think there's probably a lot of people listening here and management is probably one of their biggest stresses. If they've figured out how to, let's say, analyze a deal and find a deal. And then maybe they're going to actually buy their first rental. I think the next progression for them that they're trying to solve for is, am I going to manage? Am I going to hire someone? You know, what's the, what's the challenge here? So I guess just in that case, like a lot of them, I think worry, man, like if I do try to do this myself and I have a nightmare tenant or they're calling me all the time. Um, I mean, how do you look at someone that's starting out? What advice do you give to them as far as their first deal, their first duplex, triplex, quad, they're either thinking of managing their, themselves or outsourcing it. And then you also hear people saying, you know, you should probably manage yourself before you outsource it so that you at least know what the day-to-day -day is. So what advice do you have for a beginner that's maybe grappling with that question? Yeah, so I think everyone <clears throat> should self-manage their properties if they can. And my, my partners never like when I say that. <laughs> but um, I think uh, you need a property manager for two reasons. One, um, time. Uh, and, and time sometimes is taken in, in, in account for all the stuff you have to learn to be a good property manager for your properties. Now, your property manager you might hire knows all those things, and that's daily practice for their operation. But um, if you have enough time on your hands to figure out those things or have enough resources, then, then you do it. Or 
time or distance. So if you're too far to be able to react to issues or, or handle things at the property within a, a day's time or whatnot, then uh, those are kind of the two times you need a property manager. Now, time is uh, uh, the biggest one why I think people hire property managers. Um, you know, for a, a standard single unit um, that, that doesn't have a turnover in a year, it takes about 20, 20 I think it ends up being about 22 hours uh, a unit per year uh, is kind of how we've, we calculate out in the past mm. what it takes uh, a self-manager to manage a property. Um, and then obviously that d about doubles if you end up having a turnover. So I always tell people to back into that. So if you have, uh, if, if you're making uh, you know, X amount of dollars at, at your job, you know, what's your hourly worth, right? So if, uh, if, if on the weekends, it's, uh, if you take a property manager, most of the time property management will end up costing you about uh, $100 a month or $1,200 per year. Now you take how much time it might take you, then, uh, then you have to figure out what, if, if you're, if your time's worth more than that. And, and maybe it's not even always, sometimes it's opportunity where, hey, on Saturday, I could be out looking for other deals or I could be fixing up my flips on the <laughs> side or, or you know, what happens with a lot of people lately that might have bought, that we were getting new clients that bought properties eight, nine years ago. Now they have families. Now they're coaching soccer on Saturday where coaching soccer and being part of their son's life is a lot more important than, than responding to stupid complaints on Saturday. So um, cost opportunity in that sense. Now I'll tell this one more thing. Uh, let me add to that is I think it's very crucial. Um, especially when you're going out of your, your, your state or out of your area is to find the property manager first. Um, and then start looking for the opportunities. So I tell people, you know, of the 360 clients we manage for, I think, uh, 270 of them are out of state, out of area. And, and I always tell them, uh, I've talked to them in the past, or this is how the initial conversation, like find your property manager first and let them help you understand the, mm -hmm. the lo local uh, things that you need to know before or while you're under contract. And based on that relationship right there and that before you even hire them information you're going to get, that usually tells you how that relationship's going to go. Um, if you can't get the guy to call you back when you're, when you're looking to buy a property, he's not going to call you back when you're looking for your rent. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah, knowing where the property manager, you know, I, I know a lot of people, uh, state investors and a lot of them land in Chicago and they might've been gearing towards a different city, uh, in the Midwest, but ultimately they couldn't find the comfort level with a property manager they needed. And, and then I, I, for us, we overly provide value in people, uh, buying, um, properties in that area, just because Illinois is very different and unique and down to even the, the municipality city level. So much like New York. So. 100%. Okay. There's a lot I, I really want to dig into there because I think this is the tangible stuff, kind of the nitty gritty of the real conversations and questions that people have when they're deciding if they want to self-manage or pick an area of the country based on the manager, how to find the manager, like all these things I think are really relevant and tangible for people that may be working at W2 and trying to figure out how to balance this. So I guess um, let's say it's someone that is managing the, the property themselves. Let's say a two or a four unit, you know, maybe they're living in one part of it. Maybe they're just managing or they're building up a small portfolio. They're trying to keep it lean to try to cash flow. So they're trying to do it themselves. Where do you see most landlords, mom and pop landlords doing it wrong or getting it wrong when they're doing it themselves, maybe at the beginning or maybe just in general? So the number one thing I have uh, when I present to the local uh, real estate investor groups, I always talk to self-managed, like here's some good tips. I, get, I have a whole couple pages in my slide deck on that. But my number one thing that I have on there is don't tell them you're the owner. You know, you can always be the son of the owner or the, you could be the property manager. Hey, I'm the property manager. You know, I live in the property. The owner assigned me to, to uh, do this, but don't tell them you're the owner because um, I, I think one of the benefits a property manager has is you can always make the other person the bad guy um, in, in that sense. You're the go-between. You, in a way, are a broker, um, in a way, to mm -hmm. broker problems. You know, the landlord, the owner might be unreasonable what he's looking for, and the tenant might uh, be right, but you could kind of split the middle and, and uh, make sure that they, they come to something that's going to be a win-win. But you know what? When somebody comes knocking on your door and saying, I can't pay rent, as the owner, you, you feel for them, and you feel, especially... If you're a self-manager right now, someone comes, you know, you're like, oh, you know what, I'm doing pretty good right now. I guess I will give them half the rent off. <laughs> and versus, let me talk to the man, let me talk to the owner and I'll get back to you. Now you have time to actually think about, all right, how am I going to approach this? Mm. You know, like giving free rent's not really the smart idea, but having that uh, buffer in there or the known uh, uh, buffer by the tenant is huge for trying to get things done or getting tenants to do what you need them to do uh, uh, to make your property operate smoothly. So that's my number one thing when it comes to self-managing or why mm -hmm. go wrong. Mm -hmm. Got it. Just maybe, and, and we'll dig into that more because I have so many questions as far as tools and it, just from the standpoint of you guys scaled such a big business 
as doing it yourselves. And then you kind of, the way you got into management, I just think it's an interesting story, but just to stay on this note, finish it out. Uh, mistakes. Let's say someone is working with a property manager now, let's say they have five to 10 units. Okay. Um, where do you see, you know, property managers getting it wrong or them making mistakes that may be a red flag for an owner that's talking to a property manager they're dealing with and saying like, I don't know if this is right. Or maybe, you know, this, this is something that just doesn't seem like they're doing it the right way. Uh, so you, you, you teed it up perfectly in the sense of, uh, I think it was last month or January, I wrote on uh, Bigger Pockets uh, uh, a blog post that was uh, the number one reason why property managers get fired by clients. And uh, hmm. ultimately the number one reason in that blog, and, and there's some, it's a good article if you, if, uh, you put reference that in the notes, but- uh, We'll post it, yep. They are, um, the number one thing is responsiveness. You know Property managers are a service business. We're not creating a product. Uh, you know, we are truly a service uh, business. And if one of the top things to provide that service has got to be some sort of responsiveness um, or having, having uh, I hate using this as just a generalization, but technology in place to be able to, as a buffer to be able to be responsive or communicate properly. And, you know, I, I think in that, uh, you know, we track all people come on board. And I think if I reference that, that uh, blog, it was like 57% of property managers or owners fire the property manager just because they, they don't think they're responsive enough or they can't get an answer back. Mm. And, and I think that's the number one place that uh, property managers go wrong. Now, based on that, we run with that. You know, we, uh, you know, if you pull up our website, we're most responsive. We're trying, we're trademarking right now, uh, Chicago's responsive property manager where we're doing, uh, you know, we track um, through our uh, through Podio. We track our response times to emails and ten or to owners and tenants. So that weakness is something that's become our strength in trying to trying to uh, make sure we pro we provide a better service. So, all right, got it. There's so many questions I want to dig into. I'll save a couple of them for the end, just as far as like because I'm so process systems driven, and as far as you know, automating things, but also being responsive and doing my highest and best use task. I heard you mention 80, 20. I'm a huge believer in that as well. So it's just like balancing that, but I, I want to dig into just a little more of where you are, you are today and what you've grown the business into. And then we'll get into that stuff a little bit later. So currently right now, um, what does your business look like as far as units under management, employees, kind of your day to day and, and any partners or business associates that you work with, what's the day-to-day -day structure and kind of outline of the business? Yeah, so our company's grown to uh, 40 employees. Um, we have, uh, we, we made the Inc. 5000 list last year, which is a really huge uh, milestone for us. And just- uh, Wow, that's awesome. Something that made my mom proud. So that, that made me happy in that sense. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and as far as the investment side of things, you know, we did, uh, we did a large amount of units that we did, we call it the burst strategy um, between 2008 and 2018. And we sold a lot of those. Some of them we sold turnkey and we still manage them. Some of them we sold outside the portfolio, but we then rolled some of that money into a handful of commercial properties that, that we did now. They're much more conservative type uh, investments, but we are focused on growing the property management. And uh, we have, I have two partners. <clears throat> um, one is, uh, um, uh, our one partner, Cliff, he heads up operations. He's the, he's a, he's a smart one. He's the one he came out as a partner in 2017. He kind of helped us take it to the next level where me and my partner were hit, hitting kind of a ceiling. Um, and mm -hmm. with, uh, uh, so he heads up operations. I handle up uh, new business. You know, I, I do marketing and new business basically. So I sit on podcasts all day is what my one partner says. <laughs> um, and then my <laughs> other, uh, my other partner, Brian, so the third one, he, he's like the commercial version of me um, as far as uh, on industrial sales and uh, commercial property management. So. Got it. Okay. On a, on a day-to-day -day level, since you've, you've grown the business to how many units now are under management or ownership, I guess, do you have it broken so under, out by under, ownership under and management? management? Yeah, under management, we have about a thousand, uh, just over a thousand. We eclipsed a thousand this month uh, doors and for about 360 owners. And we manage about 2 million square feet of commercial space uh, in addition to that. So uh, wow. okay. as far as our size goes. And of the thousand, how many of those are managed versus, let's say, owned by you or you and your partners? So, we, of course, we manage all of them. Um, as far as ownership goes, we have, uh, I think we have about 75 units left on the residential side and, and six commercial buildings. So, okay, got it. So, on a day to day level, just you, since you're in the part of the business that seems to be like marketing, acquisition of clients, getting the brand out there, the company out there. 
How, what are your biggest challenges on a day-to-day basis as far as, you know, bringing on landlords or are you more focused on growing the business of the tenants? Um, so I, I guess my focus within GC Realty is really adding owners to manage for. But I do that in a unique way, which I think is our secret sauce or our, our different approach in the sense of I have all the experience of the development. I've made every mistake in the world. Um, you know, when I go talk to these uh, real estate investment groups, that's all I do. My entire slide deck is this is what I messed up on. You don't do it and you'll be fine. Uh, and watch out for these seven things. So I, I love, uh, and, and so I, I'm part of marketing and all that. And, but I think marketing is so different now um, in the sense of maybe what it was 15, 20 years ago. And, and, you know, adding value to uh, people's experience um, of what they, like I was just saying, what, what they should be watching out for, what they can mess up on or, or where they're going to go wrong. That, that's all marketing is now. There, there's a book out there. Um, they, they ask you answer. And all of our marketing is based on that. And it's, you know, if I talk to 10 people a week, you know, they, they probably 80% of the questions uh, are, uh, are the same. Um, so, if I then put the marketing toward that and you know, make my two minute videos and put them on the website, I'm answering these questions for people already. And they're finding us because we're answering those questions. But, um, and then when you get someone on the phone, you know, being able to apply your, your specific experience uh, to that is, is a lot of what I'm able to do um, with that. Mm-hmm. Got it. Just on that note there, uh, as far as scaling and, and dealing with problems that you've encountered and then helping other people prevent them, you talked about communication as being kind of the big one that people get wrong. Are there any others on a day-to-day basis that you see people that are scaling a business constantly getting wrong or stuck on, or, you know, maybe it's the reason they're not scaling their business. If it's, you know, I don't want to say the obvious ones, but collecting checks or doing things non-technically or technologically, stuff like that. Well, I'll tell you this. I said before how everything was chaotic back in 2012, 13. And uh, it was because we have a process in place. And I'm talking to a process guy here, so uh, this resonated. But we found the book, uh, Work the System. Um, and Work the System is a true story about a, a gentleman with a, uh, <clears throat> a answering service that was on the brink of collapse after 10, 15 years, ran himself into the ground as far as uh, just kill, job killing him. And they started to systematize everything and everything to turn around. Now, his business now is now Work the System and, and everything he does with that. But it, it made us realize like, man, there's so much stuff that we repeat and we could document and we could do it repeatable and we could add, hand it off and have somebody uh, downstream handle this or turn it into virtual assistants a couple of years later. But being able to uh, do that. And then the next thing that when it came to creating process that we figured out, and I think any small business, no matter what industry you're in, uh, they, they struggle with the process part. Um, they, 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 they struggle with taking what everyone knows in their head and putting it on paper. But the bigger thing that helped us with process was uh, uh, process mapping them and, and, uh, and be able to kind of draw out visuals uh, to how a process works. Now, I, I know you, you like uh, different uh, softwares or gadgets and all that stuff, and, and you might know this one, but when we found Lucid Charts, um, which is uh, an awesome, I think it's the best $9.99 we pay on a monthly subscription basis, but the ability to go in there and process map uh, versus what we used to try doing in like Word and all that stuff, that it was a nightmare. Uh, mm. But being able to process map and be able to see where your, your bottlenecks are for any given process for any business um, is, is huge. And that was another big stepping stone for us. Wow. And there's so many tools out there that people can use. I've heard you mention a couple so far, in this, just recording Podio and Lucid, a couple others. How, how would you recommend someone? I mean, you guys scale the business. And it's, I mean, I'm just going to go out on a whim here and guess you were mostly doing it with ex- just Excel spreadsheets and, you know, mapping stuff out and kind of organizing stuff for someone that's out there right now, kind of stuck on this and they're thinking, all right, there's so many tools out there though. And I've heard Podio is a beast. It's really robust. It's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a scary thing to try to take on from scratch, which if you've watched any tutorials on it, it is, there's a lot of templates on it, but it's, it's very intense you know, what would you recommend for someone of what are maybe your, your training wheel type tools or what tools should you maybe just start integrating into your business that can make things, your, your life a little bit easier from just using spreadsheets or writing stuff out by hand, paper bookkeeping, probably the worst. So like just to get started. You know, I think there's a lot of things out there and I, I, I won't, you know, even, I think even just the step up for us uh, from Microsoft Word to Google uh, Microsoft uh, Office to Google Docs and Sheets and all that stuff was was a big game changer mm-hmm. just for the fact of we're not always worried about who's got the most updated version. 
Now, I think Microsoft God. has a, something similar with that now, but uh, uh, you know, we're past them and we moved on to, to Google in that sense. But you, know, you work with something like that. Uh, you know, we've, we've used Podio for about eight years now and, and it started off really simple. Um, and we were using it more so from on the construction side of things and be able to track projects uh, initially. And then it turned into, so we have a property management software and there's about four or five off the shelf uh, softwares property management can use, but it wasn't helping us as we scaled it. It wasn't what we could do and we couldn't customize it. It didn't have open APIs where we can move data. We're big on uh, data and trying to figure out things with data or collecting data. And we weren't able to do anything with that easily. So, you know, we started building Podio out for our operation. The funny thing is, we, this might be 2016, we built Podio out like, like for our property manager side, like extensively, you know, and crazy, like intense, rolled it out to our team and they all rejected it. They're like, oh, this is so difficult. You know, they're not doing their tasks. It became, they're doing the work and then having to spend an hour a week going back and updating everything uh, in Podio versus doing the work because it's your turn to do something in Podio. And the funny thing is uh, right. we, we took it down to basically a glorified checklist. And over the next two years, one by one, everyone's like, well, why don't we do this? Or we could add this, or we could add a trigger to do this. And now we're like far beyond where we ever were when we first rolled it out. But we, we approached that wrong and trying to introduce things to the, the team. And similarly, we did the same thing with VAs. We struggled with that uh, for many years, introducing them the right way as far as being part of the team versus just being a weird concept. Well, that's, that's exactly how I look at a lot of this stuff is that like you can try to jump in so aggressively with it at the beginning because you're excited about it and you see a podium tutorial it. or monday.com or Asana or whatever. And you're just, you're ready to go. You're like, I'm going enterprise suite. I'm ready. I'm going to get all my team on it. The virtual assistants, people that have no clue what this is, people that don't even use computer, like whatever. And it just doesn't stick. It becomes that drudge to go back because you're asking a lot of people, including probably yourself to break, a process you've always done it so I think the way that you just explained it is good for anyone out there who is considering any of these tools or technologies just start slow and dip a toe in the water and like the way I onboard a lot of new technologies or systems is I just try to assign a couple things to it at, at a time so like right now I'm product testing for new project management software so I'm doing Asana, Trello, Monday, Airtable and for each of them I'm just trying to do like one set of tasks and just see which feels better and then maybe grow it out. And if one feels better, just keep adding. So like to your point, um, that, that makes so much sense instead of just jumping in and then it being like impossible for everyone to figure out because it can be so complicated at the beginning. So um, before we, I, I want to dig deeper into just tools and process before we just transition to the last part of the show where we talk about that. Um, I, I just want to ask a couple questions around kind of the state of the business regarding Corona. You mentioned property management and how typically in downtimes, uh, property management improves. So I guess just from like a state of the business and the economy and, and renters, especially from the standpoint of some of the new eviction laws or new eviction kind of regulation that's come out and then just some of the, the tenant um, deferments or landlord, I guess, forbearance. How do you see the next couple months playing out for your uh, landlords and for your business? So the, the tr we, we just had our leadership meeting before this. Um, and the most frustrating part I think we all have is we went from being a 90 day company, like as far as getting things done to like a nine minute company, <laughs> like everything is so, you know, if it's not the alerts on your phone of things being updated or something being closed or extended, everything has just changed to become a, a day by day operation. That sucks, uh, especially for um, growth plans and all that stuff. But um, when it comes, our, our biggest fears right now are, is the ability to uh, kind of collect rent. Um, you know, we've kind of started backwards for every rent that we get. All right, that's one less problem. And the other thing, um, being a process guy, you know, there's no process you could put in place short of the processes. Every once, everything's case by case. <laughs> so, um, you right. know, in dealing with one tenant uh, in this building and this owner, you know, this owner might be a little more flexible. Now, our goal as property managers to guide our owners through, hey, these are three or four of the kind of uh, scenarios you could provide for your tenants and we're comfortable doing and, and you, you won't get 100% screwed, the tenant's not being screwed and, 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 and hopefully next month or two months from now, we'll be back on track. Um, and so we're trying to do that, but it all just comes on a case by case scenario. Um, I, I don't want to uh, ever sound uh, doom and gloom, but the, you hear people talk about uh, the economic recovery and, and here, here we are, it was a 10, 11, we're in year 11, I think, or something like that um, of it. And we are due for a recession or a slowdown in the economy. And 
and there's nothing better that is going to trigger it. And, and I think we're, we're kind of screwed up. Even if everything went back to normal tomorrow, the damage has been done already, at least to a certain point that is grand enough to maybe put us into some sort of recession uh, without even having to go any further. Now, the, the scary part is, all right, we're in a recession right now if things ended today, but what happens if it goes another 45 days, which it likely could. So the good thing is, uh, you know, right now the banks are still lending. Um, the, and, and there's certain industries, there's a lot of industries that are still working. Um, the government still, they're throwing down a lot of money and they might have to do what they did last week another, another time. I don't know. I am not smart enough to talk about what the ramifications are for our children <laughs> or anything like that based on handing out trillion dollars at a time uh, a couple times this year. But uh, um, so that is, uh, that, that's, that's a scary unknown of what that looks like down the road. Um, so, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, living through 2008, you know, everything, when it went into, when things went into uh, what they call recession, uh, it's different each month, every time you hear a different month in that year. But, you know, for us, it was kind of that September point. And it's like, everything just died for about six months. Everyone was scared to do anything. Um, but prices, in, it went, relative to real estate, prices were crazy high back then across the country. So I, I think for here in Chicago, a lot short of a couple of neighborhoods, we're still lower than we were in that 2007 peak. So, and, and rentals didn't even make sense back then. So if you bought a property right now, you could still cash flow. Um, I didn't know what cash flow was till the market crashed in Chicago. <laughs> um, like I told you, I was, I was selling these condos and uh, sometimes those were upside down when you were playing off the appreciation uh, that you're going to get six months later. But yeah, no, so uh, just specifically about real estate right now, it's, it's uh, a good time to figure out who has money and who's going to give you money um, if something, this downturn uh, hits harder than uh, we're expecting. Because I think that was the one thing of, uh, I, I talk in my, uh, in my slide deck about uh, knowing your backup plans uh, or your opportunity plans. You know, a lot of people you know in the good times to have money won't be there to lend you money. So you gotta make sure you cue in on uh, who's gonna have money to, to lend you um, come time for uh, a, a buying spree or buying opportunity. 100%, yeah, that makes total sense. Having a system and then going through your options. I feel the exact same way because every case is a little different. Every tenant's a little different with their situation. And I mean, uh, it seems like also there's different tenant and different owner scenarios based on their position with a bank or not a position with a bank. And then their tenant's position, either how much they make or not make it's, it's it, I'm finding it kind of like you talked about hard to put FAQs in place or streamline process in place because there are so many, and I don't even have that many units. You have tons. So I, I can just imagine. So that's, that's really interesting there. Um, I was just going to add one more thing that might be helpful, but our first, our, our goal. So right now um, is to, someone calls up and says they can't pay. Uh, we kind of, our, our mindset is, all right, how much can you pay? Let's collect as much as we can. And let's talk about how we can spread out the balance across uh, X amount of months. Uh, that's kind of our first approach at what we consider a best case scenario. Now we have a three pager that uh, I'm happy to share with anybody. It wouldn't be legal advice or anything, but it's more of uh, what we send to tenants. All right, you're having struggles. We'll work with you. Fill this out and send it back. But it kind of puts something to paper to make them sign off saying just to make sure that there aren't people trying to take advantage of the situation as well, too. So, 100%. That makes total sense. And that's kind of what you talked about earlier, over-communicating, making sure that you're putting stuff out to both your tenants and your landlords. So, like, just on, on this note, uh, to wrap it up, have, have you gotten a lot – I mean, have you gotten more calls from tenants or landlords regarding all this craziness the last two weeks? Um, we've gotten more from tenants. I like to think that we've been uh, communicating with our owners um, every few days just to kind of let them know what's happening on, on, the, on the street, I guess, uh, on the ground level. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a couple of questions might come out from us reaching out to them, but most of it's been with the tenants and uh, with the owners. It's like, hey, as soon as we know anything... I think our letter to owners was specifically, hey, listen, we don't know how this is going to play out, um, but as soon as we know anything that's going to happen, good or bad, we're going to communicate with you. That's the best we can do for you right now is to be responsive. Got it. Okay, that makes total sense. And just uh, one last question, just I guess on, on the management stuff before we jump into like the tangible, the activities, uh, that sort of thing. If someone out there right now is looking to find a property manager, maybe they're looking at this opportunity that I, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with all these tenant issues. And this is now my wake up call to work with a property manager. What advice would you give to someone out there right now? That's they're going on Google. They're looking at 
at reviews of property managers, they're not sure where to start or how to have the conversation to see who is best for their properties. What advice do you have for them? So a couple of things. I think uh, if I was looking for a property manager, first thing I would do is go on bigger pockets and say, hey, I have a property in this town. Who's a, who's a couple options I should be interviewing for property management? I think that's the best thing that we got out there right now as a community. But secondly, you know, obviously you Google people up. We all have uh, Google reviews. I think a company with zero reviews is just as bad as a company with, with no reviews. Um, and I think a company with a lot of reviews is uh, good, even though they might sometimes, I, I think a company with good reviews is good because they care about what's going to happen publicly um, to them, which means they're going to work harder behind the scenes to make things right um, for good, bad, or, 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 or whatever it might be. So you, you go off the reviews and you go off of, uh, um, you know, if you know, a lot of landlords have landlord friends, obviously that's always a, a good uh, option as well too. Okay, perfect. That makes sense. Um, cool. If we move to the uh, the rapid fire show wind down, uh, I'm excited about this just to go through a lot of the tangible questions, the day to day stuff. So, um, first off, time management. Right, you're in a business that is very reactive from one standpoint, but at the same time, there's also a part of it that has to be proactive as far as business generation, development, marketing, that sort of thing. So. With that said, how do you plan your time from a day-to-day -day basis or a week-to-week -week basis, and, and why do you do it that way? Well, let me, I've stumbled upon something new. I think I started this in December, and it's been huge for my productivity. And really what it comes down to is, is the three most important things, three to five. I, I create a list in the morning, three to five most important things. Now, my mindset with that is if I get those five things done and couldn't work for the rest of the day, it would be a win. It would be the most successful day I could have um, possible. So, you know, it's so easy to uh, get distracted in any, any business these days. So I have those three to five things. If I knock those out, then it is funny how, when you get those three to five things done, the feeling you feel when you get those things done, um, which only leads into you mm -hmm. doing all the whole bunch of other stuff and maybe even getting some other things that weren't on your list that were actually really productive done in, in addition to maybe all the, uh, um, the other uh, things. And then if you're doing those three to five things and, and something's coming up, it forces you to kind of delegate something else. So you can keep focusing on getting those three to five things done. So that's been huge for me um, uh, just recently uh, in getting things done. I try not to check my email before I get to the office or I guess now, you know, I, I'll, I kind of uh, will work out here at the house and, and get to my, my home office. But I think rolling out of bed or just opening, first thing you do is open your eye and check your email with one eye open. That is the most dangerous thing you could do for your productivity on a daily basis. There's got to be, you got to set a point in your morning that you start checking emails. That way, I, I, we've all done this. You get an email, you get a shitty email from somebody overnight. Um, and it just, it, that controls then how you feel for the day that controls your morning that controls everything. And that's just so dangerous. And now for me, you know, I get in the shower, I, I do my workout and you know, whatever I'm doing, that's all free. That's some good mind time for me. Like I'm thinking this and, Oh man, I'll do that. And Oh man, today's the day I'm going to, I'm going to actually try this. Cause right now I, I have right. a good wide open mindset. Yeah. 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. It's amazing how one email or one inbound reactionary thing can really shape or change your entire mindset or really just tarnish or stain something you're about to do. So totally agree with that. Um, so as far as tools, you've mentioned a couple, we've talked about a couple. Um, I guess we'll put this in the same bucket. We usually talk about tools, systems, and, and leverage virtual assistants and help. So I guess just from, from a day-to-day -day high level, how would you describe um, some of your processes as far as you know, project management or assignments and who's doing what and how does it all interact? I guess from a high level, how would you describe that? Well, a couple of things for me personally, in my email, I, we have a G suite for our, our company and we use, I use, and I live and die by this. It's a active inbox. It's a Gmail add on that basically if I'm going to send you an email right now, I want to follow up you at some point, uh, but I don't have to keep thinking about that. So I might set it for June 1st where it'll pop into back into my inbox on June 1st. Um, I'm a zero inbox guy. Um, getting things done. I think you, you said something about that or I saw you post something about that. Um, you know, that, that, that's a big proponent of that where I like the zero inbox and, 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 you know, anything that's in there that, especially when you sit down and you're like, damn, I got 150 emails. It's like, all right, I'm not even going to look at this today. So I'll put it for two days from now. So it's out of your inbox. Then. And then, you know, I think when you go through your email, which consumes so much of our time now, even if you're not going to, it's in your inbox, you're still looking at it. You're still thinking about it and you're still uh, thinking, do I do it now? Do I not do it now? But once it leaves your inbox, you're good. So this active inbox tool has been huge for me and it's cheap. It's like five bucks a month. Like it's, it's, 
it was, mm-hmm. a, you know, I, I call stuff like that for me, a game changer um, in, in my productivity. I've been using it for about three years now. Um, mm-hmm. The, uh, as far as our office goes, so we built out, um, you know, we have the, we went from the off the, the shelf uh, property managed software to building out Podio for almost our entire operation. And, and we really run through that. And really what we're able to do is uh, create all of our, our KPIs and, and uh, our numbers and our thresholds that we want to be under. And then we're able to manage by the numbers because we're able to take the data and do that where we're not always looking for what the problem is. We could get an email. We get a daily email with our, our 12 company uh, uh, KPIs, uh, key performance indicators. And if any of them are in red, then we know someone's got to do something about that today. Um, and if it's not, then the health of the company's uh, good in that sense, or at least for that day. <laughs> um, but right, just right, be right. Able to, do you mind just sharing real quick what some of the KPIs are? I think people are always kind of curious of what actions they should be taking or could be taking, you know, how to track them. Yeah. So for us, uh, and it's different for every industry, but for us specifically, you know, we have uh, our collections. We have our collections split up in a couple of different groups where that percentage of uh, total is at. You know, we have our our response times to uh, residents and, and, uh, and owners. We have uh, our, uh, let's see what I'm thinking. We have our, our owner receivables for how much money we have out there on the street. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, so it's just stuff like that where, hey, if any of these numbers get um, too high, then we're looking at, uh, um, we're looking at bigger problems. So our goal is to prevent it before it gets too high. We're, we're, if we weren't looking at it, it takes too, there's, it gets to too high of a level before we realize it's a problem if we're not looking at it on a daily basis. And then all of our departments Thanks have that time. as well too. Um, they have their own individual numbers that they're always watching. So having numbers, being able to, you know, I think there's a book, what, it, what is measured is managed. So um, it, it it's, uh, ends up being huge for us to be able to manage uh, the entire team. Got it. Okay. Just, and for those that don't know, how would you describe Podio or do you recommend Podio for people starting out? Yeah. Um, so Podio is a little more difficult than uh, places like Asana um, um, or a couple of other ones that are out there. It's a lot more customizable uh, where we're able to, we've built it out and, and you could go on Upwork and you can find someone to help you do all the, the backend coding. And there's, there's templates for whatever your industry might be that you can buy to start and then you can modify from there. Um, but, uh, there's a lot of, uh, automations that you could do. And, and for us, even like we were able to send out contracts, um, through there, get them signed through the automa- electronic signature. And it, it, it's pretty, it's, it's big for us as far as what we've built out. hundred percent. Okay, cool. And just the last thing, I mean, if any other tools jump to mind, feel free, but as far as virtual assistance goes or help or leverage, I know you guys utilize quite a bit of that. So, um, how did you find most of them and, and what is your, interaction with them as far as what are their roles and how do they help you guys? Yeah. So it's been a journey for us. So we've been using virtual assistants really project-based to start uh, since about 2015. And uh, it's grown to now we have 11 full-time virtual assistant employees that have their own, they basically run their own department uh, for whatever specific Mm. thing is. So they have, they have a true task like anybody local would have, uh, or they have a true scope of work like anyone local would have. But uh, you know, it was a long journey in the sense of, uh, you know, where we hired them from even. So now most of we have 10 of them that are out of Mexico and two out of Philippines. Uh, but we started uh, with all uh, Indian uh, and Philippines. And then we went to straight Philippines. But now, now we have mostly uh, virtual out of uh, Mexico. Now, one of the things we changed for culture that was big for us inside of the office, we stopped calling VAs. <laughs> we call them remote team members. Uh, they're the ones that easily adjusted to, uh, to everything the last two weeks when we started working from home. So um, <laughs> they had an advantage on us, uh, on us all local here. It's pretty funny. Uh, but remote team members, what we call them, they refer to them as, you know, you could go on our website. They're on our website. They're, you know, we shipped them out uh, GC shirts for the most part. And uh, they have our shirts on there and, and uh, so forth. Got it. And, and are they doing more task work or project work? That, are they interacting with tenants? Or is there a chat box feature? Like, Anything like that? I know you guys really pride yourselves on responsiveness, so just wondering if they help out with that. Oh yeah, some have uh, direct uh, do the direct communication with uh, with tenants with owners. Um, you know, for us, our internal communication, we all are set up on uh, uh, Vonage, so um, I can get off the phone here and call uh, somebody down in Mexico, just like I'm calling somebody down the street just from our computer, and they'll answer it. So, and we got Google mm-hmm. chats or Hangouts and all that as well too. Got it. Just the last question on. Um, I'm sorry, what'd you, what was the uh, term? Not VAs, they are 
Remote team members. <laughs> remote team members. I like it. So for your remote team members or, or remote team members in general, I think a lot of people are maybe stuck on, let's say, privacy. Or they, they'll come up with an assortment of, I guess, reasons why they're not comfortable with um, remote team members. But for you guys or for anyone out there that is, is maybe torn on that or considering, you know, I don't know if it's, a, if, it's, if it's private enough, secure enough, or if they'll be able to do a good enough job. I mean, what would you say to that person, uh, especially based on your experience, what they've impacted your business? Well, I think one of the things I learned earlier is if someone could do it 80% of as good as I can, it's, it's better off to be handed off. But, you know, so I'll tell you this, the, one of the first ones we hired was in accounting or our finance department. And one of the annoying things we hated was taking the credit card charges and entering them into QuickBooks. Now we switched to Chase and Chase has the functions where you can control the security levels and they were able to, and I was able to have somebody out of the Philippines with an accounting degree be able to handle uh, entering the entries into QuickBooks and reconciling the books on a weekly basis. So um, I, I think some of the education levels that we have um, are, would be equivalent or better than maybe even what I have <laughs> when you start comparing them to other countries and their <laughs> education levels, so. Right, no, I love that, that concept of 80% of something is better than 0% of nothing, so makes total sense. Um, cool, so that kind of wraps up, I guess, just time management, virtual assistants or remote assistance and, and leverage, that sort of thing. So um, next question we like to ask is, uh, what is your favorite way to stay educated and who are some of the people that you follow on those platforms? So I'll tell you something else that I was able to finally do over the last uh, year and a half is, uh, I've worked my way up to, to double speed on, on audiobooks. And that's been a huge win for me, mentally, because now I know I can look at a book and see it's 10 hours and I could listen to it in five hours. Now, I think that any book you listen to, people are like, oh, you can't retain it that fast. And now any book you listen to, I think there's usually about seven to 10 key things you take out of that book. And you're going to usually catch it because you know, it's just going to interest you or it's going to spark you. And you're going to get that whether you listen to a single speed slowly or, or double speed. So um, that, that's one of the mm -hmm. big things that's helped me be able to crank out more. Now, the problem that I have now is when I watch regular TV, I feel like everyone's talking in slow motion. <laughs> um, so I've kind of created my own issue there. But, you know, I'm big on, uh, on, on books, um, you know, audiobooks and, and podcasts. Uh, when it comes to podcasts, you know, all the TED Talks they have, uh, you know, Genius Network podcasts. Um, you know, I listen to industry specific ones. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good information out there right now. Uh, how do I word this? Uh, you know, there's a bunch of billionaires that are getting uh, older that are now retired or, or not working a day to day where their sole goal is to give back to um, what they've learned over the years. Um, and finding those people and being able to listen is huge um, to, to that type of advice, which I think no generation before us has ever had that opportunity based on what we, the platforms there are now. Um, mm -hmm. on, on the book side, um, I think, you know, a, a really good book that's out there right now, I think it just came out last year was, uh, the road less stupid, um, by, I think it's Keith Cunningham. Now this is a real estate developer that, uh, in, in 2000, or I'm sorry, 19, like 83, like went from being worth 200 million to losing 200 million, like in, in a, in a month's time. So this guy's got awesome wow. stories. And I think, it's track 12. So if you don't listen to the whole book, you listen to track 12, he goes through his 23, 20 things that he's learned over the years from, uh, from going from rich to poor and back rich again. So it's awesome value in itself. Um, you know, Sam Zell, he's got his book out there now. Am I being too subtle? It's an awesome book. Um, Sam Zell, he's a local Chicago guy too. And, uh, you know, he's got, he built up the largest office uh, portfolio in the world and sold it off to Blackstone, which led me to, led me to reading... Uh, uh, Steve uh, Schwartzman's uh, book um, about how he created Blackstone, which was awesome story as well too. So all these are great motivating books and, and motivating in one sec. And then the other part is like, man, I haven't done enough in my life yet. But it ultimately turns into motivation after you get past the, the I haven't done enough yet concept. 100%. That's funny. Yeah, the Sam Zell, I, I got introduced to him, not personally, but his story just through the, the Tim Ferriss interview. If you haven't heard that, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. But exactly, yeah. yeah, so you know, that, that was the first one. So that was that was really good. And then just, um, yeah, that that I, I couldn't agree more about the uh, the two x speed thing. If you, I, it's a great tool. It's a great tip, a hack, whatever on podcasts and YouTube. But I find now anytime I'm talking to someone and it's not two x speed, I'm like, you know, like this is crazy. You know, so it's, yeah. it's just kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, uh... yeah. I like all the uh, extreme ownership books. Uh, Jocko Wilnick, all those that I think he just had a new one. Uh, come out mm -hmm. a couple months ago that I listened to, but uh, I think he's got three or four now that 
Hell, my kids have his kids' books even, so I'm a big fan of him. <laughs> oh, no way. Okay, that's so funny. Yeah, he talked about that, I'm sure you heard on, uh, when he was on BP, about how the, the kids' books are so popular. So it's funny yep. to hear your kids have the book. Yeah. My wife says right, he's my cool. very crush. So. Not a bad one to have. He's a beast. Yeah, he's, he's a bad animal. animal. So. Cool. Um, okay, so that's pretty much just the, the, the tangible, the day-to-day questions. Um, we go through every episode. So I guess just with all that said, you've got a ton of stuff going on in the business. You've scaled it. You've systematized it. What's next for you? Despite everything, all the unknowns right now, uh, we were on the course to just kind of having a fun time growing the company. Um, I, I think one thing I learned about five, six years ago was, man, you got to enjoy the journey because ultimately at the end of the day, when you have all this money, it's, it's all over then at that point. <laughs> so enjoying the journey is something that I've, I've really tried doing the last couple of years, even more so, um, you know, once we get past whatever these unknowns might be the next couple of months, looking what that real estate market will be, that's going to be fun in itself. Uh, if that, if that creates opportunity. So, um, but yeah, just grow, growing a better property manager and now he's looking for opportunity on the investment side. Okay, cool. Where can people learn more about you, your business, your content? Uh, maybe if they're in Chicago, ways to connect. Yeah. So hopefully you'll leave my email and uh, I'm even open to leaving my cell phone uh, in the show notes. Uh, anything, you know, I've always offered myself as a gateway to Chicago because uh, you know, from Chicago, so it's, I got a guy, right? So um, <laughs> I, I think that's been a huge part of our success is people come into uh, Chicago or start looking at Chicago and, and I offer my resources or offer my, uh, my team. And, uh, and, and a lot of people don't get, get uh, led astray. So if you're ever looking for anything in Chicago, you know, reach out to me. Um, and then obviously I'm on bigger pockets and you could, I think you're allowed to look through whatever, what I've posted over the last seven, eight years. I did a podcast on there as well too, back in the day. So, um, you could look at all my content they have on there. Okay. 100%. Um, I guess this is the penultimate question. Last one before the last one, what would you tell yourself if you were just starting out today, a millennial, um, knowing what you know now, what industry would you get into and, and what would you think about in your first year or so? Um, so what I would tell myself, I would go bigger. So the number one thing that uh, we never did the right way was go bigger. Um, I had too much of a small mentality, a uh, small uh, outlook mentality. And there's not enough time in life. You get too old too fast to, uh, to keep that pace. Now, what that entails is hiring people faster, um, whether it be virtual or, or local or, handing stuff off or, uh, you know, finding things you're not good at and having other people do it. And while you focus on what you're good at. So going bigger, faster is the number one advice, uh, that I would give myself, uh, in 2003. Okay. Got it. Awesome. All right. So we talked about this a little before, but goal of this podcast and the way that people network and reach out in general is to try to add value before they ask for value. So, I like to ask this question to every guest we have on. If there's anything that you're either working on, struggling with, stuck on, know you should be doing, but don't know how to do or could be doing, uh, is there anything right now that if someone reached out to you to try to bring you some free value, they'd be starting the relationship out the right way or be actually helping you or benefit to you? So I have uh, really since December kind of taken a crash course on marketing. You know, we've never really spent money on marketing because we've been able to grow just through you know, stuff like this, uh, networking, bigger pockets, all that stuff, uh, which is a very low uh, marketing spend. And we realized this year we got to start spending money. And I put together our first ever marketing plan 18 years into the company and, and trying to figure out uh, uh, different ways to spend money efficiently um, and understand all that. So anyone that has any ad value as far as marketing goes or direct mail or how I can connect with uh, property man or property owners uh, locally in the Chicago market, that, that's what I'm looking for. Anyone, anyone that, that uh, is wanting to talk about that. Okay, cool. That sounds right. Well, Mark, it's been uh, fun going through these questions. I think people are going to get a ton of value out of what you do on a day-to-day basis and how you do it and the process you use. Um, really cool story and really appreciate you coming on talking about how you do it. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, before we jump off, is there any last comment or parting words you'd like to say to the audience? Um, yes. Oh, I, I actually wrote a note here because uh, I didn't want to forget it. I never see and a person do one deal. Um, so they either do zero deals or a whole bunch of deals. So getting that one under your belt for the people that are, uh, are, are held back by the uh, paralysis by analysis concept, get a deal done. Now what I do see people do is they get the first deal done, they nail it, make a killing, and then they get sloppy going forward. Uh, so have precision on the first one, 
then you'll be motivated to do the, the second and third one, but keep that same precision you had on the first one and, and don't uh, think it was, uh, it, it's, it's easy. So sometimes we should get lucky on that first one too. So keep that in mind. I did. Yeah, no, I like that. You could learn a lot from failure. And if you get lucky your first deal, you could get in a lot of trouble in the next. So really good point there. Well, um, Mark, thank you again for coming on. I see uh, you're doing a lot of big things, a lot of stuff going on, doing a lot of networking. So uh, I expect big things in 2020. Wish you all the best in 2020 and beyond. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you for having me. Stay safe and uh, healthy. All right. Good deal. Thanks. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.